Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello and welcome to From the Furrow, brought to you by Everag Insights. Each week, we talk with subject matter experts on news and topics affecting the grain markets. I'm your host, Brent O'Connell. Let's get started with a review of today's markets. Today is Tuesday, February 28th. March 23 corn is down five and a quarter cents, trading 637 and a half. March 23 soybeans are down 25 cents, trading 1493 and a quarter. Turning to our guests this week, it's our privilege to have Shelby Myers. Shelby is new to the Everag team, joining us as the new Director of Grain Market Intelligence. Shelby is a graduate of the fifth-ranked Purdue University and comes to us from a production ag background. Welcome to the podcast and welcome to the team, Shelby. Thanks, Brad. I'm so excited to be here. Shelby, you're new to the Everag family. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, your previous roles, and what brought you to the Everag team? Of course. So, Grain Market Intelligence Director, I think, is just a fancy way to say economist, and that's really been my background. I completed my bachelor's and master's degrees in agricultural economics from Purdue University, as you mentioned. We are a fifth-ranked basketball team right now, but I'd studied corn and soybean markets there and had a research emphasis during my graduate school uh, on farm policy and the farm bill, and that included a variety of risk management tools within the farm bills, like crop insurance and some of the ARC and PLC programs. And then I spent the past three years with the American Farm Bureau Federation as an economist there. And I tracked markets and examined the impact of various legislative and regulatory initiatives on agriculture. And my portfolio there really included crop markets, farm policy, and then also sustainability. And then uh, prior to American Farm Bureau, I also spent some time at Indiana Farm Bureau working on state and federal farm policy issues. One of my passions in particular that I got to experience while at AFBF was to serve as the vice chair on the USDA Advisory Committee on Beginning Farmers and Ranchers under USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue. So that was a really neat experience and something that brings a, a different light to the position. And then, you know, I joined Everag Insights and the rest of the Everag team because I was really intrigued to be that go-to person on all things grains. It's an opportunity to hone in on this area of my portfolio that I really enjoy and kind of step away from the hustle and bustle of Washington, D.C. And to be honest, it's a similar role to what I did at AFBF, but it's more hands-on with farm businesses. And I think that's what truly made me want to make the change. Well, we're certainly excited to have you on the team, Shelby, and you've already made an immediate impact. As we kind of pivot and talk about some of the news that's happened here as of late in the grain markets, it's been a bit quiet, a bit stale, if you will. But last week, the USDA hosted its annual Ag Outlook Forum. What were some of your key takeaways from that? Yeah, so I've attended a couple of the USDA Ag Outlook Forums in person and virtually. And I think this year it was refreshingly back to normal, if you will. Uh, My big takeaways is, thank goodness there were no surprises, in my opinion, right? Uh, USDA Chief Economist Dr. Seth Meyer delivered an economic outlook that I think we all kind of expected. Uh, We're coming off of a record year in 2022. We've had the highest net farm income on the back of mostly cash receipts rather than government payments, which has kind of been the norm years prior to 2022 because of COVID and some trade wars and, and, you know, all of those things going on. Not to mention, we had a record year for agricultural exports in dollar value, thanks to strong global demand. 
So his outlook, when you turn to 2023, I think, you know, his overall message was a bit more optimistic than maybe I consider that I would be. Uh, maybe that's the nature of farming, too. Uh, USDA sees a lot of potential in global markets for U.S. corn and soybeans, plus domestic demand, especially in soybeans for that renewable diesel industry area. And so that will certainly you know, help use up the supply that is the U.S. is forecast to produce. I'm not sure I have as much confidence in our global market position, but I'm, I also hope I'm wrong. The other takeaway I had real quick is that that climate smart commodities, both the projects and the initiatives, are not going away and took up a huge part of the conference sessions and, and a lot of the discussion that I think farmers and ranchers need to be alert about that. that it's it's going to be here a while. So there's two things you brought up that I want to spend a little bit more time diving into. The first is the outlook for U.S. grain exports. We all know the story on U.S. corn and its lackluster demand, specifically on the export front right now. How do you expect the issues with Russia and Ukraine, I'll even throw you know the, the China situation into the mix, to impact the global movement of U.S. grain? Let's start with, with one commodity and move to the other. So on corn, I might linger here a little bit longer, you know, the Black Sea Grain Initiative is going to be up for renewal in a couple of weeks, and there's a lot of question on whether or not they get a deal done. Uh, Ukraine really needs the deal to be done, but I think Russia might need it more because both of them need to export the crops that, that they have, whether it's stored or whether they're going to produce it this year. In order to make any money on those crops, they need to export it. So there's a lot of drive to get that deal done so that ships can come in and take the crop and, and move it out to the global space. For U.S. corn, our export destinations, you know, our top five are Mexico, China, Japan. And, you know, right now for the 22 crop, number four is Honduras. Number five is Guatemala. But those top three, Mexico, China, and Japan, are really important as far as destinations for corn exports. We've just gone back and forth with Mexico on their ban on GMO corn. You know, they're going to allow feed and industrial use GMO corn, but not food use GMO corn. I think USDA and the U.S. government are still going to work with the Mexican government to break down more of those rules. But those are our three top market areas. And if we continue to have issues with China uh, and can't get corn there, we're going to need to have corn go somewhere else. And if we can't get things resolved with Mexico, Japan does not have the capacity to take on all of the corn that we're losing as a destination in Mexico and China. So either we need to use up more corn domestically here in the U.S. or continue to spread our wings on other export destinations for corn. Soybeans, I think the picture is a little bit even grimmer, if you will. Our one large top destination for U.S. soybeans is China. They need our soybeans for their livestock, for everything that they're doing there. They take in a lot of U.S. soybeans. If we don't have good relations with China, that's going to fall off a little bit. And we saw that early in the exchange of tariffs between the trade war that we had in you know, 2017, 2018. We did see drops in our soybean export destinations to China. Not as large as we expected, but I don't think that's you know a reliable place either. Plus, when you have for both commodities, Brazil and Art and you know Argentina despite their drought, but Brazil in particular, when they can produce a crop cheaply, sell it even cheaper than we can, we're certainly going to monitor how much corn and soybeans China purchases from Brazil that takes up part of our market share. 
you mentioned something really interesting in a past conversation that you and I had. And I think it's something that we've all kind of forgotten about or has gotten pushed to the back of our minds, which is China is no longer under the quote unquote obligations of the stage two grain commitment, if you will. How do you think that could have an impact as we move forward? Yeah, what you're referring to is U.S. and China signed the phase one agreement that was in January of 2020, it committed China to buying huge purchases of not just U.S. agriculture products, but products across the board. And they were commitments for the year 2020 and 2021. While China fell short of some of those commitments, the impact that it had was that China was purchasing about 19% both years of all of U.S. agriculture exports. Without those mandatory commitments, yeah, we've got to look at some of our targets and say, if they're not committed to buying this record amount that they have the last two years, what is a normal look for China purchases of U.S. agricultural goods? We definitely have a lot more geopolitical issues at hand between China, Russia, and Brazil, all maintaining positive relations uh, more than they are with the U.S. And you also have China looking to be more self-sufficient in a lot of their commodity production. So without those committed purchases, yeah, we're going to expect a drop in, in, in my opinion, a drop in China purchases of corn and soybeans. By how much, that's the big question, something we continue to stay vigilant on and monitor throughout the year. Excellent. Well, one of the other things that you had mentioned that I, I want to spend a little bit of time circling around on as well is some of these topics around sustainable diesel. And that's a bit of a buzzword. As we look at the U.S. soybean market in the next year, right, because we can look at this really long term and it's hard to predict just how it'll play out. But within the next year, what are the, some of the things that you think could have an impact on the soybean market as it relates to this increased domestic demand? So for the soybean markets, this renewable diesel expansion and a lot of our kind of our classic fuel producers, you know, all the way down to like Chevron, Marathon, you know, all of those industry partners committing to producing renewable diesel is a huge step forward for the soy crush market and domestic soybean demand that as these plants come online, there's current soy crush plants that are either expanding or building brand new to accommodate the soybean renewable diesel markets. The impact that that's going to have for things like your soybean base price in local basis areas are going to be significant because they really want this stuff and we're on track to do our largest crush ever for domestic soybeans. And in 2023, we're forecast to do even more. And so having these new domestic markets can certainly help increase our opportunities for soybean use, that we're not going to rely on soybean exports like we have in the past. And I think, you know, you could see some acreage come, some more acreage come online to accommodate that renewable diesel market. But the other tricky part there is that not all corn acres can grow soybean acres. And so we're going to take, you know, more than likely corn acres out of corn production to put into soybean production. And, you know, that's why you see that shift a lot of times that you pick one or the other. That brings kind of a natural segue into expectations for the upcoming U.S. crop. Don't necessarily need an acre 
estimate by any means, but just in general, what are your thoughts on the coming year? What you expect to see from the U.S. farmer? Oh, well, I'm definitely going to take the opportunity to brag. I pinpointed USDA that we're going to have 87 and a half million acres of soybeans in the office pool. So uh, I'll just take the moment to brag that I won that one. I do have 91 and a half million corn acres, uh, a little bit higher than what USDA pegged at 91.0 million acres. So I, I, I think they're going to maybe U.S. farmers will find another 500 a thousand acres there. But, you know, I think we're set to do, as lame as it says, a normal crop year. You know, we're kind of coming down off of a lot of highs and record net farm income. We've got higher prices. There's been higher interest costs that we haven't had to face in years past. You know, all of a sudden we've got to pay interest costs on things like storing our grain that we haven't had to do for quite a few years now. And, you know, you even have these other nuances where your equipment is still delayed or hasn't been delivered yet. Maybe you're running on equipment that you wanted to exchange a year and a half ago and you're still waiting on that. So some of these other challenges that I think we're set up to do a, a normal year and as long as the weather cooperates could deliver on that. Excellent. I love your bold uh, prediction and your willingness to to put it out there. Well, certainly we've enjoyed our conversation today and look forward to having you on more podcasts as we move forward. Shelby, if listeners would like to learn more about the work that you are doing, how can they best do so? I would definitely recommend getting in touch with your local grain marketing advisor or going to our website, ever.ag, and we can get you hooked up there. Excellent. Well, thanks again, Shelby. Thank you also to Corey Romero, our producer, and Paige Driscoll for mixing and mastering today's show. If you've enjoyed listening to From the Furrow, feel free to subscribe to our podcast, hit the like button, or share it with a friend. 